This podcast is brought to you by Reynolds & Reynolds, the industry leader in automotive technology. Learn how operating differently can help you overcome the pressures facing your dealership today at reyrey.com slash operate differently. That's R-E-Y-R-E-Y dot com slash operate dash differently. Welcome to Daily Drive for Tuesday, June 27th, 2023. I'm Jamie Butters, Executive Editor of Automotive News here in Detroit. And I'm Kellen Walker in Seattle. Today on the show, Lordstown Motors files for bankruptcy. Sales forecasts show a strong end to the quarter. And the UAW fires its top lawyer. Plus, Cox Automotive is somewhat optimistic about the second half of the year. We'll hear from Chief Economist Jonathan Smoke. The key theme that I'm using over and over again is that we're not getting worse. And... <laughs> And that's a big difference from what we've seen the last couple of years. Let's run through all the news you need to know to keep up in the auto industry. Electric truck startup Lordstown Motors has filed for Chapter 11 bankruptcy protection and put itself up for sale. That's after the company failed to resolve a dispute over a promised investment from Taiwan's Foxconn. Shares of Lordstown plunged more than 55% in trading before the bell. The automaker filed for bankruptcy protection in Delaware and simultaneously took legal action against Foxconn. In a complaint filed in bankruptcy court, Lordstown accused the electronics company of fraudulent conduct and a series of broken promises in failing to abide by an agreement to invest up to $170 million in the EV manufacturer. In a statement, Foxconn said it was hoping to resolve the dispute through negotiations without resorting to what it called baseless legal actions, it said Lordstown's statement contains false comments and malicious attacks. Foxconn said it could pursue its own legal actions and will suspend, quote, subsequent good faith negotiations. U.S. light vehicle sales in June are expected to increase by double digits, capping a strong second quarter recovery. But the industry still faces risk to both supply and demand in the coming quarters. Most automakers are scheduled to report June or second quarter U.S. sales results next week. Cox Automotive expects a 15.2 million seasonally adjusted annualized selling rate for June. J.D. Power anticipates a pace of 15.8 million and S&P Global Mobility calls for a 15.9 million rate. All those estimates outpace last June's 13.1 million rate, according to Motor Intelligence and May's 15.1 million pace. Stellantis will launch a suite of electric vehicle-related services and products this year in North America and Europe, dubbed Free-to-Move Charge. It will be managed by the new Stellantis Charging and Energy Business Unit. Stellantis sees Free-to-Move Charge as a way to reach its EV sales goals by removing barriers to EV ownership, such as charging anxiety. By 2030, the company aims for all of its light vehicle sales in Europe to be fully electric and at least half of its U.S. sales. And UAW President Sean Fain has fired the union's top lawyer, Abigail Carter, along with two other members of the legal team. That's after accusing them of concealing information from him about ongoing federal investigations. Meanwhile, the union's longtime legislative director, Josh Nasser, who was ousted earlier this month, said in an interview that he had been systematically cut out of the loop since Fain was elected. He claims he was told to either leave or be fired without being given a reason. 
The moves are part of Fain's ongoing effort to shake up numerous departments within the union after signaling earlier this year that a purge would take place should he become president. In a memo detailing Carter's firing, Fain said he made the changes after recently discovering information about ongoing federal investigations into the UAW's officials that had been kept from him. A federal monitor is overseeing the union and continues to investigate officials as part of a six-year consent decree stemming from a corruption investigation. And those are today's headlines. Jamie, Lordstown Motors files for Chapter 11. Do you think we could see more of this from EV startups? Yeah, it seems really likely. Uh, some I've seen one analyst kind of call this the beginning of the reckoning for a lot of these EV startups. You know, you think back to Tesla, right? And it had a really successful IPO uh, and then had to raise billions and billions of dollars on its journey before it could become profitable. These other companies, they didn't have the same amount of cash up front. Some of them are trying to find some more as they call it, asset light ways to uh, get into full production. Uh, but it is very difficult. It is so hard to start a company. And you know the markets are in no mood to fund uh, startups that are losing money and that are going to be you know going up against Tesla and General Motors and Ford and Volkswagen and the whole rest of the industry. Got it. Coming up, Cox Automotive Chief Economist Jonathan Smoke joins the show to talk about upgrading his forecast for the year despite challenges coming up in the second half. That's next on Daily Drive. Economic uncertainty, vehicle affordability, and ever-increasing customer expectations are threatening the profitability and efficiency gains you've made over the last couple of years. You may be finding the strategies you've used to improve performance in the past just aren't as effective as they once were. You offer online options so customers can begin the buying process remotely. But your salespeople have to rebuild the deal or correct it during the in-store appointment. You ask your advisors to be proactive about calling customers to get work approved, but still wind up with occupied bays and stalled jobs when the customer doesn't answer the phone. Your business office clerks are trying to process deal jackets faster, but funding still takes weeks. The strategies you've used to improve performance in the past just aren't as effective as they once were. Getting better at outdated and inefficient processes will only get you so far. Let's face it. Netflix isn't a household name because they got really good at mailing DVDs. And nearly half of Apple's revenue comes from the iPhone, not from the computers the company was founded on. These companies evolved as new challenges presented themselves instead of sticking with the status quo. It's time for a mindset shift. It's time to operate differently. Finding new and innovative ways to operate is essential to effectively managing the pressures facing your dealership. Visit rayray.com operate differently to get started. That's R-E-Y-R-E-Y dot com slash operate dash differently. Welcome back to Daily Drive. I'm Jamie Butters with Kellen Walker. It's not getting worse. That might sound like a lukewarm outlook to the uninitiated, but for at least one economist watching the auto industry, it's a sign of relief after rapid increases in interest rates, as well as ongoing supply, affordability, and other economic challenges that have hampered auto sales in recent years. Cox Automotive Chief Economist Jonathan Smoke is more optimistic than he has been in quite a while, though he cautions that inflation, interest rates, and the likelihood of a UAW strike all loom over the second half of this year. He briefed the automotive news team yesterday here in Detroit about his organization's forecasts, and he and I sat down afterwards to talk about why he's feeling pretty good about the rest of 2023. Jonathan Smoke, welcome back to Daily Drive. It's good to be with you again, Jamie. 
So uh, you have boosted your forecast for the full year to uh, 15 million light vehicles. A lot of mixed signals in the economy. The job market and wages are good, but borrowing costs and interest rates are are higher. Um, as we look toward the industry growing to 15 million, I mean, how much is the risk of a UAW and or Unifor strike baked into that outlook? It's definitely a factor that, that has us watching and uh, looking to see your coverage on how things are progressing and who the targets might be and what that might mean. Uh, I think our view is that it contributes to what may be a softer uh, third end of third quarter and fourth quarter of the year. Um, but it's one that we don't think fundamentally sort of takes the very strong momentum that we've seen so far this year. I mean, this year has been stronger than we anticipated it would. Uh, and it's definitely something that I think um, we still have some lingering issues to talk about that sort of holds us back. But the key theme that I'm using over and over again is that we're not getting worse. And <laughs> And that's a big difference from what we've seen the last couple of years. Right, right. But so the first half was significantly better than anticipated rolling into the year. A little bit of softening in the second half. Is that mostly the higher interest rates and other sort of political risk? That's right. It's it's really uh, softening that, that we're seeing, like the SAR in May uh, was certainly coming off of the peak SAR that we had in April of 16-1. Uh, but still, uh, compared to where we were a year ago, much, much better. Uh, so we are seeing a little bit of, of uh, momentum um, slowing in, in, the, in the auto market specifically. Some of that is the economy itself is slowing down. Uh, we're seeing uh, a, a slowing in, intentionally in job creation, which the Fed wants the economy to be slower, and particularly the labor market to not be uh, as hot. Uh, and of course, uh, part of that has been uh, the increase in interest rates. We've got, you know, the typical uh, new vehicle auto loan rate is is uh, right around nine percent right now. That's about three full percentage points higher than it was a year ago. Um, and what that does is is uh, you know it, it negatively impacts what affordability otherwise would have been. Uh, what has helped to offset that is that consumers are employed and consumers are. Um, uh, seeing new jobs and uh, we're seeing consumers being able to spend and and particularly consumers with good credit are starting to see some attractive uh, incentives. Uh, we're seeing better lease offers than we had a year ago. So there are a lot of things that are helping to mitigate some of those pressures uh, in the economy. But generally, I would say the glass is half full. <laughs> so one of the other things in the second half where, of course, we're going to have uh, union negotiations that may be challenging. We're also going to see a further ramping up of the political, the election process. Dealers listed political climate as a significant headwind. How does that work? I mean, we know the partisan uh, lens that people tend to have on the economy. If their party is in power, they think the economy is not too bad, it's pretty good. And if the other party is, is in charge, they think things are going in the wrong direction. But that's not really how people make their individual decisions. Is it what? How does that play out? What is, how does political tension uh, play out as an economic headwind? Yeah, I, I think we can see just like we see the weather uh, come and go as, as an issue impacting uh, dealers through the course of a year, it's always uh, a concern in the winter. It's never a concern in the summer. 
Um, I think we're, we will always see the political climate come and go. Um, but I think fundamentally, you know, dealers are very plugged in uh, to their local world. And when uh, there are issues that are big national issues or there are issues that are big uh, that are that are on the minds of consumer uh, consumers and negatively impacting consumer sentiment, I think they hear it and they feel it. We we go through the the comments that we get on the on the uh, dealer survey every quarter, and we definitely see uh, when when they're um, they're feeling that that negativity. And we've been dealing with consumer sentiment. I mean, it hit an all time low on the University of Michigan. That's been doing it since the late 1960s. It was the lowest that it has ever been last June. Um, so when you have factors that cause uh, people to be otherwise less enthusiastic than they naturally would, uh, I think it detracts from the, 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 um, the confidence that they feel in spending, and I think dealers feel that. Um, so I, you know, I, seeing that creep up the list is a signal to me that the next 12 to 18 months may be a little bit bumpy, um, that it's not like we're, you know, even though I have the glass half full, I'm still <laughs> fully aware that there are some challenges and coming into an election year is probably going to be uh, one of those things. But at the end of the day, you're right. I don't think the typical car buyer is worried about who's going to be in the White House influencing their choice of their next vehicle or when they're going to buy that vehicle. Let's switch to uh, shift gears to the, the used markets, uh, much larger normally than the, the new vehicle market, even in, even in unusual times it is. Um, how does the higher production of new cars and trucks now compete uh, with used used vehicles as a as a viable substitute? And especially, I think, as we see the the mix shift and the trim shift within what's being produced. Well, in the near term, it's it's hurting the used market um, because part of of what has made the used market so strong over the last couple of years is the lack of new vehicles have actually converted traditional new vehicle buyers by demographics into used vehicle buyers. So mm-hmm. think of it as you've got two comp- competing swimming pools and like a quarter of the new vehicle swimming pool got out and jumped in the used vehicle swimming pool. Um, and while they were in there, the water got really high mm-hmm. <laughs> in that pool uh, because they could afford to uh, spend more on those vehicles in, in the used pool. And that made some of the used pool swimmers uncomfortable with that pool. And they got out of that pool. Mm-hmm. Well, now the new vehicle pool is looking attractive again because there's actually vehicles for sale over there. And there's incentives coming out. Mm-hmm. And there's definitely better interest rates. And so there are a lot of those new vehicle buyers that are going back to their old swimming pool. And that leaves the used pool actually half empty from the used people that got priced out of their pool uh, there. And it, it explains some of the kind of dichotomy that we've had such strong momentum so far this year in the new vehicle market, but the used vehicle market hasn't been looking so hot. Then on the supply side, eventually the recovering new production is going to produce more opportunities in in the used market. But in the near term, it basically makes it even more competitive for used car dealers. So it creates all kinds of dynamics like Echo Park deciding to shutter eight of its stores. That wouldn't be happening if we didn't have a scarcity of vehicles uh, uh, available. And 
a pool that's been diminished in the number of, of uh, buyers that are that are swimming in that pool. So lots of different moving pieces. I think we're basically at the worst of it. I don't think it's going to be getting worse, but I also think it's going to take time. We really are not forecasting that we will get back to an improving used retail market uh, likely until 2025. Mm-hmm. Um, and some of that is, is supply driven as much as the uh demand dynamics. Yeah, we've been so uh, supply constrained for new vehicles leading to, you know, which of course are the future used vehicles. So yeah, it seems like it would be at least a, a couple of years. Um, and that's the normal cycle, but this one has been even worse for uh, the channels that actually feed used retail. The number one sources of, of especially younger used uh, vehicles are uh, leasing and fleet, uh, particularly rental. And what has been starved the most uh, the last three years has been sales into those channels. So it's an even deeper hole than what we're used to seeing uh, past the downturn. Jake, the producer, says that we can't play snippets of the songs from your summer 2023 (laughs) auto themes uh, playlist. Oh, Jake. uh, Because uh, at least one of the platforms has no chill uh, when it comes to journalistic fair use. Uh, but I want to highlight uh, one of the tracks on there uh, was uh, Baby Don't Hurt Me, Don't Hurt Me No More, about the Fed's interest rate policy. You were very critical of the Fed being slow to raise rates, slow to recognize the, the impact of broad inflation, uh, kind of still really throwing money into the economy when they needed to start uh, paring some back. Does it look like they're doing a better job on the tail end of this uh, raising interest rate cycle? I I withhold my answer to that question until I see what they do in July. Um, I'm hoping that the rhetoric rhetoric that we're hearing that suggests they may raise two more times is really just rhetoric intended to kind of calm the market down in the short term. And they truly think that um, they need to give it time and they will see inflation coming down as uh, most of the numbers have reported. We get a couple of more reports before their net next meeting. So I'm hoping it, it, it does uh, give them reason to truly pause uh, rather than uh, continue to, to see increases. Because there's no, there's no question, it has dramatically slowed um, housing and the automotive sector, which are the two that are most interest rate sensitive. Uh, we see it clearly. Uh, we know the challenges that uh, it ironically puts on the market. It actually causes the used market to to uh, suffer even more, uh, which actually is the one source of affordable solutions, mm-hmm. personal transportation in the country. So it's not something that uh, we want to persist in this uh, direction. But yeah, I chose that song because it was a kind of cool remake of the classic Hathaway song that I had in my uh, 24 golden hits uh, that was all about the Fed. Uh, back in May. So hopefully they're listening this time. All right. Well, our listeners can find your playlist on the, under DJ Smokey Smoke on Spotify. Jonathan Smoke is the chief economist for Cox Automotive. Thanks again for joining us. Oh, it's a pleasure to be with you. That's Daily Drive for today. I'm Jamie Butters. And I'm Callan Walker. Thanks to Automotive News coordinating producer Jake Neer, as well as our own Michael Martinez and Vince Bond Jr. for their reporting for today's podcast. You can get the latest news on sales forecasts, manufacturing, and everything happening in the auto industry at autonews.com. If you enjoy the podcast, remember to like, leave a review, and subscribe so you never miss an episode.